Thank you, Mark. Thank you, uh, instrumentalists. And thank you, personnel ministry team, for that uh, very well done tribute to Mike. And Mike, we thank you. Oh, he's already left. He's out there somewhere. He's doing his thing. We appreciate uh, him and his family so much. Did you see Matt Olson's Grand Slam home run the other week? He hit the ball 420 feet and, uh, over the right field wall into Pittsburgh's Allegheny River. Olson became the 45th major leaguer to hit a home run into the river, but he was the first Atlanta Brave to do so. Pittsburgh's public safety officials decided that retrieving the ball from the river bottom would be a great training exercise for its rescue team as divers. And, and so using radar equipment, divers found the ball on the river bottom days later. I haven't heard whether the ball has made it back to Atlanta and back into uh, Olson's possession or not, but Olson will certainly cherish that uh, treasured memento and the effort it took to, to, uh, to bring that ball back to him. I want us this morning to think about another treasure, another treasured memento. Psalm 119, verse 72 reads, Your instructions are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. Did you catch that? The psalmist is saying, This book of the Word of God, this holy scripture, do you have one to hold up into your hand? You have one certainly before you. I hope it's open. I hope that you're using it. This scripture is more valuable to the psalmist than a ton, a treasure chest of silver and gold. Would you say the same thing? What does God's Word say to you? What does God's Word mean to you. Why is it so important to read and learn the Bible? Because as we, as we grow to know the Bible better, we also grow to know God better. Because God reveals Himself through His Word. God opens Himself to us through His Word, through the Word of God. The growing disciple learns about God's nature, His activity, His ways by opening the Bible and taking in the pages of Scripture. Taking in God's nourishment. The Bible says that, that God's Word is, is the bread of life. That God's Word is our, our milk for the new believer and our meat for the mature believer. We, we feast on the Word of God. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to facilitate spiritual growth in our lives. And no matter where we are in our Christian pilgrimage, however long we've been a believer, whether we're a new believer or a veteran believer, we still have more growing to do. And God's Word is integral to that spiritual growth experience. That's why it's so important to, to read and learn the Bible. So, as we look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 this morning, we read, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and of mara, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So what do we learn from the Word of God? Well, first of all, the Word of God is unique. Notice the little word for, which connects the previous section of, to this great verse describing the uniqueness of Scripture. This is not a standalone verse for a it, it refers back to verse 11 and to the, to the verses previous to verse 11. But let's read verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. The same example of disobedience. The writer was uh, addressing an example of disobedience as he referenced the Israelites in the wilderness and their tendency to depend upon self 
rather than to depend fully upon God. You remember how the Israelites were rebellious. They tended to wander away from God. They tended to, to, uh, to wander aimlessly spiritually because they were depending upon themselves rather than depending upon God. Their eyes were not always on the Lord. Are our eyes on the Lord as they should be? Does anybody else come to mind when you think about the Israelites' rebellion and their wandering? Do we think about ourselves? Then in verse 12, the writer stated that God's Word reveals these kind of problems in our lives. And it reveals, uh, unveils two characteristics, the writer does, of the Word of God. First of all, God's Word is living. Now this word is present tense, meaning this living is continuous and comes from the Greek word that gives us our English word zoo. Or zoology. God's Word has an indescribable vitality that can bring a person from spiritual death to spiritual life when they encounter the truth of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 reads, Having been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. God's Word lives and abides forever. So God's Word is living, but also God's Word, second, is active. God's Word is active. This Word can be translated powerful and describes that which is is working, that which is, is efficient, that which is effective. The Word of God has a, a dynamic quality about it, an energy that produces results. God's Word is always active for salvation and for judgment or, or for conviction in our lives. Contact with God's Word brings the potential, has the potential for life-giving power. Lack of contact leads to spiritual dullness and to ineffectiveness. Joel Gregory described this dynamic quality this way. All spiritual life depends on continued contact with that Word. If you are lifeless, listless, and lethargic spiritually, it relates in some way to separation from the living written Word of God. Did you hear that? If you are lethargic spiritually, if you are dragging spiritually, if you lack that pep in your step spiritually, there is a disconnect between your life and the regular, continuous intake of the powerful, effective Word of God. God's Word is quick and active, living and powerful. Let me ask you a question. How has God's Word transformed your life? How has God used His Word to speak to you at a strategic moment, a critical moment? To bring you a Word from the Lord, to to transform your thinking. But not only that, second, God's Word is is sharp and cutting. Sharper than any two-edged sword. A double-edged sword cuts both ways as it penetrates the body. The word sword reminds us, of course, of a long weapon, a long tool used in, in, uh, in battle. Long and sharp. But this word here refers to uh, a relatively short sword, kind of like a dagger that was used more for, for cutting or for stabbing. In the Garden of Gethsemane, for example, on the night of Jesus' arrest, Peter pulled out his sword or his dagger, this word used here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, to cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. We find it in Mark chapter 14, verse 47. 
The emphasis here is on the ability of the Word to penetrate and to expose our inner heart. The writer is painting a picture of cutting and penetration. God's Word is so powerful, it cuts right through our excuses. It cuts right through our desires, our ambitions, our hang-ups. It cuts right through our sin and pierces our hearts. Hebrews 4.12 says that God's Word cuts into our soul and our spirit. Spirit is the part of our life that, that comes from God. Soul refers to the seat of our thoughts and emotions and desires and choices and actions. The Word of God separates spirit from soul. And the Word of God also cuts into our physical lives as it divides joints and marrow. The point is that Scripture can cut into the very core of man's being. God's Word lays bare the entire person before God with absolute thoroughness. It completely reveals what is spiritual and what is fleshly in all of us. Sometimes God's Word takes root and slowly does its work of penetrating our lives depending on how hard our heart is, how hard the soil of our heart is. Sometimes, though, when we least expect it, God's Word cuts to the quick, quickly. A man named Thorpe in the 18th century, in 18th century Bristol, was part of a group who called themselves the Hellfire Club. Their sole purpose, sadly, was to constantly mock and ridicule the work of George Whitfield, the famous evangelist of that day. One day, the Hellfire Club gathered at a pub and began mocking Whitfield. Thorpe offered his brilliant but sarcastic imitation of Whitfield. He started delivering his sermon, mocking him. Delivered his sermon with brilliant accuracy, perfectly imitating Whitfield's tone and facial expressions as he quoted Scripture and quoted sermon content. But suddenly, amid the laughter and that atmosphere of ridicule as he was quoting Scripture, Thorpe had to sit down immediately, for he was pierced through and was converted on the spot by quoting the Word of God while imitating Whitfield. Thorpe was a thoroughly mean man engaging in sarcastic mockery, yet God's Word changed him in an instant, and he went on to become a prominent Christian leader in the city of Bristol. That's how powerful the Word of God is. And that's what God's Word can continue to do in your life today and in the life of the lost person as we use the Word of God. Let me ask you something. How, how have you seen the power of God's Word work in someone's life? I love it when the Gideons come and share about their work of distributing Scripture because they always have stories of life change and life transformation and impact of the Word of God. You can go on their website and pull up videos of people sharing testimonies, personal testimonies, of how God's Word has changed their lives. How has God's Word changed your life? Third, God's Word is discerning. The Greek word is kritikos. Kritikos, which gives, gives us our English word critic or critical. The word means to sift out, to analyze, to judge or discern. God's Word cuts through our thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's Word sifts our minds, sifts through our, it scrutinizes, it exposes whether it's the secret thoughts of our minds or the intentions of our, our rational life. God's Word cuts to our very heart. 
The word heart in God's Word is the location of of, of who we really are. In the Hebrew thought and Greek thought, it was the seat of our emotions, the seat of our choices. And God's Word looks into our lives and observes and judges and, and determines what is right and what is wrong or what is good and what is bad. God's Word is the standard by which we are judged, by which we are critiqued. When E.V. Rieu began translating the Bible for Penguin Books, his son remarked, It will be very interesting to see what Father makes of the Gospels, but it will be more interesting to see what the Gospels make of Father. After completing the translation, Rue commented, My work changed me. I am a changed man because of this translation. Listen, you cannot read God's Word if you take it seriously, if you take it in slowly, if you meditate on it, if you're serious about opening God's Word and reading it, you can't reading it, read it without it changing your life and making some sort of impact, whether it's salvation, or whether it's spiritual growth, or whether it's obedience. God's Word sets the standard. God has a scale. He has a measurement. He has a precise, accurate measurement that is the standard by which all else is measured. It's His Word. God's Word is our critic. So hold this Word up against your life. When we're puzzled, God's Word gives direction. When we need wisdom, God has a Word of wisdom for us. When we need assurance as we open His Word and hold it up against our lives, God's Word is full of promises. When we need conviction, God's Word cuts to the quick and gives us conviction. Do you live by the standard of God's final, absolute, critical Word of God? If you want to live a life pleasing to God, then we need to live by His standards. If we want to know what His standards are, then we need to be opening this Word and reading it and applying it to our lives. Also, fourth, God's Word is indestructible. We read a little bit of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 a moment ago. Let me read this passage for you again. Chapter 1, verse 23, verse 24 and 25. Verses 23, 24 and 25. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, God uses His Word to bring about salvation. As we hear the Gospel verses presented, as we hear the message of the good news of Christ presented, not by corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which, uh, of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is, of, is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, its flower falls away, but the Word of God endures forever. The Word of God endures forever. God's Word is powerful in its endurance, it's powerful in its indestructibility, Peter wrote, quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, the Word of God endures forever. Jesus said that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. We know people have burned the Bible. We know people have attempted to ban the Bible. We know believers around the world are persecuted today because of their stand for the Gospel. And and one of the things that happens is they try to keep believers from the Bible. People have tried to eliminate the Bible. People have tried to destroy the Bible. Yet it endures through the ages. And its influence and impact remain powerful.
Many years ago, a lady in Spain wanted to do something special for the Lord and decided that she would purchase and give away Bibles. We have a a senior adult in our church. That's her ministry where she is right now. She purchases, uh, her son purchases Bibles for her. And as she comes in contact with people in her facility, she, she cheerfully gives away the Word of God. And that is her witness. Well, this lady in Spain was walking down the sidewalk one day and came upon a stonemason working on a wall. She offered him a Bible and wrote his name in the Bible. And he was too nice to refuse the Bible. He accepted the Bible. But when she left, he said, I will never read this book. And I'll make sure that no one else ever reads this book either. He placed the book behind one of the stones and finished the wall, certain that this copy of the Bible would be hidden forever, never again accessible for anybody to benefit from. A few years later, an earthquake hit that area. And an inspector was examining structures and, uh, the, the structures, and he came upon this wall that was cracked. And as he, he peered into the crack in the wall, as he was doing his inspection, he noticed this little book and reached in and removed the book and saw that it was this Bible. And he took it home, and that night he began reading this Bible. And soon the inspector became under conviction and gave his life to Jesus. This man became a distributor for the Bible Society in Spain, selling God's Word from town to town, trying to distribute Bibles. On one occasion he met a man who was a stonemason and offered him a Bible. And the stonemason replied, he once owned a Bible, but he had sealed it in the wall he was building. The distributor pulled a Bible from his pocket, opened it to the flyleaf, and told the man his name. And the startled stone mason was amazed and listened as the man told about finding the Bible in the wall, taking it home, reading it, and giving his life to Christ. The stone mason decided, determined that maybe he should take a closer, more serious look at the power, potency, and, and effectiveness of this word, word of God. Maybe we should also. Do you find yourself this morning uh, again, I ask, lethargic, dry, dull spiritually? Let's just do a checkup. How much time did we spend in the Word of God this past week? When we sit down with God's Word, are we just ripping through it and then checking it off of our to-do list? Do we sit down with God's Word daily? What part of the Bible are you reading through right now? What's the last scripture that you memorized and and hid in your heart? What insights are God giving to you? uh, Is God giving to you as you read through various scriptures? Are you making notes in your margin of your Bible or maybe in a journal that this is what God said to me when I read this scripture? I ran across an article by Matt Smethurst, pastor of River City Church, Richmond, Virginia, who led our recent deacon training that we hosted for the Fairburn Association. Very quickly, let me give you eight things your Bible says about itself by Matt Smethurst. First, the Bible is inspired. The entirety of the Bible is God-breathed, excelled from God Himself. God used human authors. He used their personality. He used their experiences. He used their educations. But these people weren't robots. Yet, God's Word came from God. Second, the Bible is true. God's character is true, so the Bible is true. The Bible will never mislead you because God will never mislead you. Third, the Bible is authoritative. God is 
God's loving authority intended for our good is expressed and exercised through His Word. Fourth, the Bible is clear. Pastor Matt stated, I've heard the Bible is shallow enough for a child to wade, but deep enough for an elephant to swim. The Bible is clear. Fifth, the Bible is sufficient. Scripture contains all the words from God that we need to know to trust Him fully, to know Him truly, to obey Him perfectly, and to enjoy Him abundantly. The Bible is sufficient. Sixth, the Bible is powerful, as we've been saying this morning. The Holy Spirit uses God's Word to to accomplish His purposes. Write down Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. You can look those up. Seventh, the Bible is Christ-centered. Matt wrote, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, the plot line of Scripture anticipates, spotlights, and finds its ultimate resolution in God's redeeming Son. Eighth, the Bible is precious. It's the most valuable treasure in the universe. The most valuable treasure in the universe. What is your testimony concerning the Word of God? Do you see it as God's treasure? Do you read it and study it and memorize it and hear it taught and hear it proclaimed? Are you plugged into a small group Bible study through our Grow Group ministry where you hear God's Word broken down even further? I have an assignment for you. I want us together as a congregation to read through the book of Acts in the next 30 days. The book of Acts, you have 30 days up till, if my math is right, around October 16th to read 28 chapters, one chapter a day, to the book of Acts together as a church family. Will you do that? The living Word is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He wants to become your Savior if you don't know Him as your personal Savior. If you today are here and you don't know for certain you're going to heaven when you die, we're here to help with that decision. That's life's most important decision. And we want to encourage you to start your relationship with Jesus today. Grab me at the back door before you leave and say, Pastor, how does that happen? Help me. And we'll open God's Word and I'll walk through with you what God's Word says about how to know for certain you have eternal life and that you're going to heaven when you die. Maybe you've accepted Christ, but you've never followed through in believer's baptism by immersion. Why do we know baptism is important? Because the Word of God records that it's important. We're commanded to be baptized, to baptize new believers. We see the example of Jesus being baptized in the Word of God. And we too want to follow the example of Jesus, to take our stand for Christ. If you feel led to join this church family, we want to talk to you about that because we want you to be here as God leads in your life. We want you plugged in. We want you serving. We want you helping to support this church and help us move ahead. What is God's Word for you today concerning the decision that you need to make today? Father, we thank You for the opportunity to make decisions for You Sunday in and Sunday out. And we're so thankful, Lord, that, uh, that You convict us when we go astray. That You speak to us continuously through Your Word when we open our hearts and open our ears. Lord, use Your Word today. Give us decisions for You. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.